0: Is that any better? All right. There we go. All right, good morning. It's good to see you. We have a number of visitors here, including I think some that I'm related to, which is cool. Uh, good to see you here and appreciate so much you taking the time to be here with us. Uh, this is a, uh, the second Sunday morning of the month and we have a thing that we do in this session each second Sunday morning where we have Q&A and I want to do a little bit of explaining about what that is. Uh, so that you don't start raising your hand and asking me really hard questions. Uh, When we have Q&A, it means that uh, there are questions that have been previously submitted to me and uh, that I take time to answer after I've prepared some things to say uh, in this time. So I encourage everyone to continue to send me questions. I'm not really running short, but, you know, someday I might run out. And if I do, then I'll have to go to regular preaching and I don't know. I'm not sure we want that. So uh, we... uh, what happens in the Q&A is that we tend to have a, a wide variety of questions. Uh, I believe it was last month we talked about CBD oil. Sometimes we talk about, we talked about aliens one time. Uh, and uh, so we, we talk about some different things. And some of them, they're all of interest to the people here because you've asked about them. Uh, and sometimes though, they're a little bit uh, inside. So they're about what we do as a group. And that will be what this, uh, this question this morning is. So if you're visiting with us, I appreciate you, I'm glad that you're here, Uh, but just know some of this you may feel like uh, it doesn't apply as directly to you and the congregation where you are, where you normally worship, uh, and that may be, but it's something that uh, is something that's been asked uh, by one of the members here, so I'm going to address it this morning. So uh, we really just have one question this morning, and this is not working either. Well, there it goes, all right. You got me, thank you. Got lots of technical fun this morning. All right, so the question this morning is, uh, why doesn't Fairview use the church treasury to support orphans in children's homes? So the question is, just generally, why don't we do something that a lot of other churches do? And so I wanted to take some time not only to answer that question, but uh, you guys know I like to kind of zoom out a little bit when we have a question like this, because it's a good time to review just generally the idea of... The New Testament's teaching on church money, generally what the church is, how a church has money, how a church raises money, and then how a church uses money. So let's do that by talking about uh, orphans in children's homes. So the first thing that I want to say about the New Testament's teaching on this is that the New Testament distinguishes between mine and ours. I hope you understand what I mean when I say that. What belongs to me as an individual and what belongs to us as a group. Uh, And there is a distinction made. So Acts chapter 4 and verse 34, Acts 4 and verse 34 says... There was not a needy person among them, this is speaking of the church in Jerusalem, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So notice that giving the money to the group so that it can be distributed to other needy Christians is called laying it at the apostles' feet. That's what that's called, because they're giving it to the apostles. And the implication there is that the apostles now have control over it. So the apostles are going to decide who needs it, where it goes, and how it's going to be spent. So the idea is in, in that act where Barnabas gives his money, he sells his property, and then he lays the money at the apostles' feet, he is saying this is now the church's money. It now belongs to you instead of me. And so he is ceding control of that. And Peter makes that distinction of control. Look down a little bit in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. In Acts 5 and verse 3, But Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now the problem here is that Ananias lied. That's the big deal. Ananias said he was gonna give so much, but in actuality he gave another amount, and he wanted the credit for giving more than he actually had. But Peter's questions are helpful. If you notice verse four, he says, while it remained unsold, didn't it remain your own? So it was yours, you could do with it what you want. If you wanted to give it to the church, you could. If you wanted to spend it on whatever you felt like, you could, as long as, of course, it wasn't immoral or something like that, but it's yours, it's in your control. We understand that. We understand that we have money that belongs to us, and nobody else really has a claim on it other than God, but when we give that money to the church, suddenly it is our money and not just my money, and there are some implications that attend to that. I think we understand that. I think really everybody understands that. I think everybody understands that there is a difference in what we have as a group that's collected for a certain purpose, and what we have that's ours. And there are some things, you know, that we wouldn't even think twice about if we did it with our money, That if we did it with, uh, I'm sorry, Things we wouldn't think twice if we did it with my money, that if we did it with our money, we would say, whoa, okay? And if you're doing that with our money, then we're all going to say, well, wait a minute, okay? So that distinction, I think, is clear in Scripture. There is mine and there is ours. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 for a moment. 1 Timothy 5, you see it clearly here, too. It is not just money, of course, but I think we're kind of focusing in on the issue of money uh, for this topic, but... It really is the idea of responsibilities, too, and in 1 Timothy 5 you kind of see that. This passage focuses on widows, and the thrust of the text seems to be that there are widows who may be in need of continual church support, the church continually giving them what they need, and then he calls that putting them on the roll. And then there are also widows who may have family who could take care of them, and so Paul is going to tell Timothy, here's how you deal with these situations with these widows. First of all, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And that is some strong language, isn't it? Okay? He has denied the faith, is worse than an unbeliever. So he is saying this is their responsibility as individuals. You've got to take care of your family. And that is your responsibility as a Christian if you don't do it then you are worse than an unbeliever. Those are very strong words because he is trying to emphasize this is a personal responsibility and not a group responsibility. Then in verse 16, he says, in verse 16, if any believing woman has, widows who, who has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So we have to take care of family first, and he says... You take care of your own so that the church is not burdened. That is, the church is not going to have to take care of people. That individual should take care of themselves. Now, Paul is saying, you remember how we read this? We, we did this in our daily devotionals recently, that when people won't work, they refuse to work, it becomes a burden on other people. Okay, If I don't do my work, then you have to support me. In the same way, if I don't take care of my family, instead I say, well, the church will do it, then suddenly I burden all of you with what should be my responsibility. That's what verse 16 is saying. You take care of your responsibility so that the others in the church are not burdened by you not doing your work. And he is saying the church then can be free to relieve those who are truly widows. That's people who don't have anybody. They don't have family to take care of them. They're completely on their own. And that's what the church should be used for, he is saying, not for replacing people who aren't going to take care of their responsibilities. So here's what I want to get at just at this point in the study. The New Testament distinguishes between what is mine and what is ours. What is mine, I can do with what I choose. What is ours would be subject to what we are going to do with it. What is mine is my responsibility to my own. What is ours may be relieving those who don't have anybody to take care of them. So you see the difference made in those passages in the New Testament. All right. So, oh, uh, oh, I need to say this too. Um, when we read in Acts chapter 4 about the idea of laying it at the apostles' feet, that emphasizes that the apostles are then in control of it. Of course, we don't have apostles anymore. There no longer are apostles, at least not living. And so in absence of that... I believe elders are to have oversight because they have oversight in a particular group. They have oversight over the way those monies are spent. Now, they don't have control over my personal money, but they do have control over the money that we have collected together. I think we know and understand that, but I think it needs to be stated. All right, second, how did New Testament churches collect money? So we've already seen a little bit about this in Acts 4, how they they sold and then they laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias was told that money is yours, Until you give it up, essentially. And uh, so there is a difference there. But in other words, Ananias could have given what he wanted, if he wanted, when he wanted. It was up to Ananias. So the New Testament churches collected money through what we're going to call free will offering. Something freely given and offered to the group. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We usually read this passage when we uh, are going to pass the trace for the collection. I'm not sure that we often think about the broader context of the passage uh, because this passage has a very specific context. First Corinthians 16 and verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So the context of the passage, he says in verse 1 that it is concerning the collection for the saints. The context is Paul knows that there are needy Christians in Jerusalem. We'll talk more about them in a minute. But he is going around to different Gentile churches, like in Corinth or like in Galatia, and saying, you guys collect some money and send it to help your needy brethren in Jerusalem. So the passage here is about the the logistics of that. How are you gonna do that? And he says on the first day of the week, verse two, on the first day of every week, presumably they're already gathered to take the Lord's supper. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So each person sets something aside to help your needy brothers. You set it aside, you collect it together, and then when I come, you don't all have to do the frantic, oh no, I was supposed to give something, where's my checkbook, where where did we put that? You know, there's no collections then, it's already ready as a gift to go on to Jerusalem. So, what you have here is a pattern for how money could be collected each week as they met, so that they could be ready when the need came, uh, because they knew there was a need to plan for. Now, it's not a statement about how the church always collects money. I don't think we have that in Scripture. It's a statement about how in this situation, Paul instructed them, make this collection for this need. However, I will say this. This is the only example we have of how they collected money in the local church. Now, if you want to do the apostles' feet pattern, I'm cool with that. Go find some apostles, get their feet up here, And we'll come lay the money there. And that would be a great, I mean, that's an approved example, right? But short of that, I think this is the best we can do to say, well, this is a way that money was collected for a specific need. So when we collect money, that would be a way that would be appropriate to do it. Now, there's some tradition associated with that. Traditionally, a lot of churches will pass trays. That's not in scripture. The idea of how the collection is made. I know of some groups that will have a box in the back. And, you know, if you have the opportunity when you're there, you just put something in the box. Some people think that that's maybe not direct enough. Uh, And so you have the idea of different ways you might do that. But the idea is generally people are going to give what they choose to give according to their ability, what they've decided would be appropriate, what they've decided they can do. Look in Acts chapter 11 with me. Acts 11 and verse 27. Acts 11 and verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So I want you to notice there's a famine... And immediately the people in Antioch, the Christians in Antioch, think about their brothers in Jerusalem. And they think this is going to hit them hard. And so they decide, verse 29, they determined each, everyone according to his ability. Okay, so there's that idea. What can you give? What do you want to give? What are you willing to give? And they together made a collection and sent it to the elders in Jerusalem to distribute to the people there as they had need. So we don't know how they collected it or what exactly the specifics of it were, but we know that they did it as a free will offering. Each according to his ability, everyone did what they could. And then usually when we have a collection, we'll read some passages about this, like uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that talk about how God loves a cheerful giver. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The idea is we have a choice in what we give, but there is a blessing when we give. And that's the thrust of the New Testament teaching. That's a principle that we find in New Testament collection texts. All right. What did New Testament churches use money for? As far as I can tell, uh, New Testament churches use money for two things. I want to talk about what those two things are. The first is this. uh, They sent money to Paul to support him in preaching. I would say they sent money to preachers, but it's always Paul. So... Might as well just say Paul. They sent money to Paul to support him in his preaching. Let's look in Philippians 1. I'm going to show you this in a couple of places. Philippians 1 and verse 3. It says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So in verse 5, there, my version has the word partnership. Yours might have something like fellowship. Uh, the, that is a word that implies a financial uh, entanglement, a financial uh, connection. And I'll show you why I say that. But the reason, I'll show you that in a moment, the reason why Paul writes Philippians is because he has just received financial support from the Philippians, from the church there. And so when he says partnership, He is saying, you sent me money, but also you are working with me. As you support me, you have a hand in my work. And as I work, I'm working for you. We are working together in that. Turn the page over to Philippians 4. And verse 14. Philippians 4.14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. ...having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent... ...a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God... ...and my God will supply every need of yours... ...according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right, so he says specifically here in verse 15... ...in the beginning, no church entered into partnership with me... ...concerning giving and receiving. I think we can figure out what all that wording means, right? No church entered into partnership. We didn't have a relationship... That involved them sending or me sending or anybody sending to me. Nobody except you. You were the only one, the only church that did that. So, I mean, think about the implications of that. What that implies is, that implies that this church collected money and sent it to Paul. And they did it so that they could help Paul, so that Paul could be focused on his work of preaching and not have to worry about making tents or doing whatever he had to do to make a living So, Paul stresses in this text, this is not about him being poor. Okay, so we're not talking about what we would call benevolence or poverty or anything like that. Paul already says, you know, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Instead, this is about Paul doing a work. And they are sharing in his work by sending money to help him do the work. So, he views them as partners. We're working together in this, and as we send money, and that person does the work, so we do a part of their work by meeting their needs in that. So, he needs money to live as he devotes his life to preaching, and the Philippian church supplies the money. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, appreciate you guys uh, turning with me to these places. We are going to finally answer the question. Just be a few more minutes here. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 7. He says, 2 Corinthians eleven seven. 7, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. All right, can you tell Paul's being sarcastic? He didn't really rob churches, okay? Okay, he's being sarcastic. It's heavy sarcasm throughout this whole section of 2 Corinthians. But here he is saying, oh, was it so bad? Did I hurt your feelings so bad because I didn't take your money? I came and I preached and I worked with you. And I said, no, I'll just take care of myself. And somehow the Corinthians had gotten their feelings hurt because Paul hadn't taken their money. Instead, he says, uh, verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. So you get the implication of that. The implication is, if I'm going to work with you and I'm doing these things for you, then it's not a big deal if you help me and support me. That's what he's saying. That's sort of a natural way that relationship should work. And he says, you, you made me rob other churches and take their money to serve you. Now, I think he's being sarcastic. I don't think he's, you know, trying to just, well, I think he is trying to shame them, but I don't think his goal is just to say, this is your fault. I think he's also saying, this is not the way things should be. Things should work in a different way. I'll refer you to this. We won't turn there for time's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the first 14 verses lay out an extensive case for why Paul believes those who preach the gospel should be able to receive pay for that and to live from the gospel, to refrain from working in his words. Which, by the way, means, yes, preachers refrain from working. It doesn't mean we only work a day and a half a week, but uh, we live by the generosity of our brothers who support us. The other thing that New Testament churches used money for, I said there were two. The other thing is they gave money to help needy Christians. Uh, we've already read a number of these passages. I will just refer to them. 1 Corinthians 16 talked about the collection for the saints, Acts eleven twenty seven 27 to 30, remember, talked about the famine in Jerusalem, and they sent money to help the needy Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, there seems to have been a, po- a poverty problem among the Jerusalem Christians. I don't know exactly why that is. I wonder if it's because a lot of them had come to Pentecost from widespread places, and they seemed to stay because they found out who the Messiah was, and they wanted to be around other Christians. I don't know if it has to do with the fact that there just weren't the kind of safety nets that we're used to in our time, uh, you know, Social Security and all that. Whatever you think about that, it's a safety net. helps a lot of people. So I don't, I don't know why that is, but Paul always has the Jerusalem Christians in mind. Wherever he goes, he's talking about let's help the poor in Jerusalem. And uh, you remember how we, we began with the passage that said there was not anyone needy among them because... They all sold their stuff, and they gave it to the apostles, and the apostles distributed to each as anyone had need. But I need to stress this part. Um, Is that the, yeah, okay. I need to stress the Christian part, uh, because when you see New Testament churches giving money to help the needy, it is always, without exception, needy Christians. Always. You won't find a single example in the New Testament of the Local church, in any place, sending money to help people who were not Christians. It's not that they didn't have opportunities. You remember the famine we read about in Acts 11? I mean, famines don't discriminate between believers and unbelievers. A famine's going to hit everybody. And yet they send support to the needy brethren in Judea. They send support to Christians, to the brothers living in Judea. I actually think we have a little insight into why, but I don't have time to look at it because I only have six minutes. So uh, I would refer you to Romans 15, verse 25 to 27 for that. The, The idea of why I believe has to do with a spiritual connection that then leads to a sharing of material things. We share our physical things because we already share our spiritual things. And that seems to me to be the logic behind Paul focusing on needy Christians and not just needy people. So that seems to be Paul's logic. All right, but I've got more to to cover before we can uh, close the book on that. So uh, what about things that are not specifically approved? Somebody is out there thinking, all right, great, they used it for two things. How do we have songbooks in a church building, right? Somebody's thinking that, okay? Even if you're not not nodding your head right now, you're thinking that, okay? So let me briefly address that. We have have a building. We do. You have projectors that you're seeing these things on. We sing songs from the projectors. Um, We have air conditioning, and bathrooms, and things like that, that are amenities that have to do with uh, this building. We have Bible class material that we buy, that we distribute to each other. Uh, We have things that we print out. We have all kinds of things that we do to assist the work of this church, and somebody's going to ask the question, well, how do you collect money and spend it on that if it's not actually one of these two things uh, that we've been talking about, sending money to preach and sending money to needy Christians? Well, let me just briefly address that. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, 10, the text there describes how Christians are to come together. Hebrews 10 and verse 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we are intended to meet together for worship. That's God's will for us. He wants us to worship. He wants us to be together and encourage one another. That will require certain things. It will require a place. It will require certain amenities. But all the things that attend to meeting together are a way we try to fulfill the expectation of God for us to meet together. That's the whole point. If they are helping us meet together or an aid in that, then they're things that we're doing to fulfill the divine command. So the question about... What about things not specifically approved is? What divine command or divine statement or divine expectation is this helping fulfill? What is there that we're doing that we can point to a Bible verse and say, this helps us do this. So for example, a building helps us worship, a songbook helps us sing, Bible class material helps us learn God's word. These are things that God wants us to do. So if we know God wants us to do them, then we're going to take care of the things that we need to do the things God expects us to do. So I don't have an issue with spending our money on things that are going to help us meet biblical priorities. If they're a Bible priority, then let's spend what needs to be spent to do what God says. Now, how does Fairview use its money? We use our money in line with the spiritual priorities of the New Testament. We use our money to help men who will teach the gospel, This church supports me, it supports Zach, it has supported a number of young men who have come through here training and learning to preach the gospel so that they can be ready to go out and preach the gospel in other places. It also means that this church supports a number of men around the world. One of them came and spoke for us last week uh, in my absence, and that through that work we do exactly what churches did for Paul. We work with them, we partner with them in the work we believe in that mission here it is the center of what we do it is the primary use we have for the collection that we're going to spread the gospel with the money that we collect we also use our money to help needy christians that is we all try to take care of our own business but there are times where things happen where we're not able to do that and we become in poverty And so the church can help us with that. We also have situations where there are calamities that happen. We've seen this happen with famines. We've seen this happen with um, hurricanes just in the last few years since I've been here, uh, where people in other places, Christians in other places, are not able to take care of their own uh, business. And so we will help them. And it's an encouragement to me because in this congregation, people are willing to give, People are always curious. In fact, I don't think we've had a disaster that's happened since I've been here that I haven't heard somebody say, hey, how are our brethren doing? Does anybody know anything about how the brethren are in that place? And I think that's awesome. Uh, And this church has done a lot to send money to those congregations and to try to help those who are in need in other places. And, of course, Fairview is going to use its money to do some of the things we talked about. Uh, we're going to use our money to take care of the, the things that are going to help us as we gather together to worship. All right. Well, we've got one minute left, so what about orphans and children's homes? Let me actually answer the question. All right. I may go a little over here, so be warned. <clears throat> all right. James one let Let's look there really quickly. First of all, I want to say that orphans and children's homes are undeniably a good work. Undeniably. James 1.27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God wants us to have a heart for the weak, and that includes orphans and widows, those who have an affliction. That can include all kinds of good works for them, adoption, homes, financial support, attention. But James is not really talking about church treasuries or anything close to that. James is talking about what I do, keeping myself unspotted from the world, Living out the faith that I have by caring for the needy that I come across. So I don't see anything in James 1.27 about the church's role. I don't see anything here about collections. I see more about my obligations to the needy and the weak around me. And the same I would say to Galatians 6.10 and the idea of do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. Do good to all is our obligation. And we have a special focus on those who are our brethren. But I don't see that as a church responsibility. So... I encourage you to contribute to these causes as you were able. I encourage you to support these things. In fact, I've known brethren who had a particular home that they felt that the the way it was administered was exactly what they liked, and they sort of took that home as their personal work. I've known brethren who who would drive all the way, you know, hours and hours just to go visit and get to know some of these orphans. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I want to encourage us in that. Just because the congregation is not going to do this from the treasury doesn't mean that somehow this work is off limits. Uh, That's something that we've got to do as we have uh, the ability and as we have the willingness. So there are two fundamental issues with this uh, in terms of the church treasury. Uh, The first is that New Testament churches help Christians and not non-Christians. And I'm pretty confident that when you begin the process of having a children's or an orphan's home, you're going to get into the question of, Who are these kids? And what are we doing? Where is this money going? Are we really following the New Testament pattern of how benevolent work is done? And certainly that's not really the case in these things. And the second is uh, these homes raise questions about autonomy. When you have a local church giving money to basically a board of directors who's going to decide where that money goes and how it's spent, suddenly the church no longer has the ability to decide where its own money is going. So you have a question there about how these homes are going to use that, and that makes us uncomfortable about the idea of how our elders are going to be responsible for this money and how it's spent. So autonomy is the idea that each church is in charge of and responsible for its own work, and there there are some questions raised about that. So let me just say, I know that what I've just said bothers some people. Please understand, everybody... Every church has to have some point where they say, we can't help you. No one has bottomless resources. Everybody has to make these decisions. Every single church. I don't care how big they are, how much money they have. Everybody has to say, you know what, I can't help you. And that's hard because we want to help, because we care. And yet, and yet we have to be committed to following the pattern of the New Testament And doing what New Testament churches did, not just in terms of what we teach about baptism, that's certainly an important part, not just in what we do in worship, but also in how we spend our money. Everybody has a limit. I just believe that we should also be limited by the example of what New Testament churches actually did. But I can tell you definitively that that does not spring from a lack of generosity. I have been around Christians, and I have have seen over and over more times than I can count Brethren, just pull out their wallets and say, let me help. And that is an encouragement to me. The last thing I want to say about this is, I don't want us here at Fairview to ever feel like we are defined by what we do not do. There are some things that are going to be lines that we don't cross. Examples that we're going to follow, and it means we don't go in other directions. But that is not who we are. Who we are is a group of Christians who are committed to following Scripture. Nothing more and nothing less. Other people may decide to go in different directions, and that is certainly their choice. But we are going to be the people of God who are going to try to follow the New Testament. So we are not defined by what we are against. So... I hope that's helped you to understand that. I appreciate your attention and the patience of the teachers who are now going to have to start late. Thank you so much. We'll be dismissed for our classes.